Welcome to the Wheels Up Podcast, the resource to help business, executive, and VIP travelers stay safe on the ground and in the air. Join Executive Protection and Travel Security Specialist Troy Clayton as he shares tips on how to give yourself or those in your care a safe journey, no matter where your travels take you. So welcome back to the Wheels Up Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Troy Clayton. And before we get into talking to our guest today, just a quick reminder uh, for those that are uh, listening and enjoying the show, please go to either iTunes or the uh, podcast platform that you're listening to and give us some feedback. If you like what we do, let us know. Um, if you're happy with it, uh, we'd love to uh, have a five-star rating. Um, and if you've got any, um, any requests or if you've got any ideas for the show, you can contact us on uh, info at Panoptic Solutions. That's P-A-N-O-P-T-I-C solutions.com and you can leave us uh, some feedback and, and notes there. So moving right along today, I'm um, fortunate enough to be able to be, uh, to be joined by a guest um, and a quick introduction of that guest. You've probably heard me mention uh, Ronan South Africa in my previous podcast. Um, Ronan is, of course, the, uh, the training academy that I, or the civilian training academy that I, that I trained at um, post uh, my military service and my time in the Middle East. Um, during that, that time, I was looking for you know, uh, a reputable uh, training establishment and um, one that kept coming up um, in every conversation I seemed to have around with uh, those within the security industry was, was, uh, was Ronan. Uh, and Ronan South Africa was obviously uh, one of those first ones that um, everyone within the EP and CPP sort of uh, industry sort of mentioned and, um, you know, said for, for newcomers to go to, that was the one to go to. So um, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by... Um, the, uh, the owner uh, of um, Road in South Africa, and just a quick bio uh, of um, Tim Smith uh, before we get into it is, uh, and I'm sure you'll pick, pick, pick me up on what, what I miss out here. So Tim was, uh, Tim was born in uh, what was used to be called Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. He's uh, 12 years experience as a bodyguard and a close protection officer or operative, um, a qualified advocate, or solicitor, or a, um, I believe they're called uh, attorneys in the US, and prosecutor for two of those years, a uh, current uh, South African police captain, uh, an operations medic in uh, one of their counterterrorism units. He's a trainer to uh, special forces and specialist policing units, both nationally and internationally, a qualified paramedic in uh, both South Africa and the United Kingdom. Um, I know that he's a helicopter pilot because when I was on uh, course with him, he, he was up there flying. Uh, and he's a uh, mixed martial arts instructor and, of course, as I said, the owner, manager and instructor of the internationally renowned Ronin South Africa Training Academy, um, Tim Smith. So, Tim, welcome, mate. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Troy. It's, it's an awesome opportunity to be here with you. Um, it's always nice to tie up with a great going out there and done business uh, in the full sense of the word. No, thanks very much, mate. It's um, it's actually been a little bit of time. I'm, I'm, I mean, I did my course in 2006. It's uh, what 2018 now. So what's that? Um, 12 years since we we probably last had a bit of a face to face discussion. It's been a while. It has indeed. But we've been watching you in the your meteoric rise and rise to fame in, in the Australian and international market, and it's it's always great to see a grad succeed like you. 
Well, I appreciate the kind words, mate. Um, and certainly, no doubt, you guys had uh, a fair bit to do with that. Uh, but we'll we'll come back to that in just a minute, uh, mate. So what, what I'll do is I'll just get um, a quick rundown on on a, a bit about yourself. Did I did I kind of get did I hit all the points there about your background there, mate? Uh, well, you know me, my background it's all history, and you know I'm a bit of a has been. So I like to focus on how good you are on the day rather than how good you've been in the past. But, yeah, there's a couple of interesting points there. Some of them I'd forgotten. It shows how old I am. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> cheers cool. for the trip down uh, memory lane. No worries. Uh, and mate, can you just give us a bit of a, I guess, a background? Uh, like you said, you don't want to dwell too much on the past, but maybe a bit of a background about your journey, your journey of um, where you've come to and, and how you've uh, built Ronan and to where it is today. Sure, no problem. Well, it all started way back at, at university in 1992. I have to credit Dennis Martin from uh, CQB Services. They popped out to an odd little place called Grahamstown in South Africa where I was at university, at Rhodes University, doing my law degree. And they came up because there's a whole lot of farm murders and they started training the farmers. And we met there and he to me, you know, look, you've got, got a fair aptitude for shooting and things, you know, don't you want to come out and do a bodyguard course with us in the UK? So he kind of planted this. I must give him credit for that. Um, and I then went over. Uh, I, I tried to leave university a year early. I compressed my legal studies into two instead of three years to try and get into the South African military, specifically into their forces. Um, they told me that I was, shall we say, a little. So uh, they weren't recruiting currently for, for that uh, demographic. So uh, I kind of was left with uh, not knowing what to do. So I took a gap year and I went across to the UK did the course with Dennis Martin, um, loved it. Um, in those days, we could go from zero to hero, James Bond, in, in seven short days. And uh, <laughs> you do, you kind of blink an eye and say, well, is that all there is to it? Yeah. And I did another course with MJ Toombs, and uh, he taught me some interesting things. Um, I got in a van in the United States, and I went to go visit Bob Dugan at ESI. And oh, yeah, Bob yeah. taught me oh, all the lessons there, and the Americans are obviously big into uh, the room side of things and I think the Brits taught me planning and sort of thinking before you act and the Americans taught me well once you've made a plan go and actually do it yeah so that was that was great to sort of see both Antic and their approach to close protection mm. I got back and uh, in 1993-94 um, I had the good fortune to be at the wrong place at the right or the right place at the wrong time it depends whichever way you look at it but the South African police had come to know of my journey Sure. And the security branch, which is a fairly notorious part of the South African Police Service, was faced with a challenge. And the challenge essentially was to stop trying to kill the incumbent leaders and to start trying to protect them. So there was a sort of shift in focus for them. And they recruited to help unite the apartheid guys with the guys, the Department of Intelligence and Security. And they pulled them into a room and said, right, the thing that unifies both camps is that you both don't know anything about close protection. Some of you are trained in Cuba and Russia, which was horrific, and mm. others were not trained at all and needed to learn the art of close protection. So they put me in the middle of that um, flock of pigeons, and I then proceeded to, to train them both and unify uh, a cohesive unit in the Eastern Cape, which was really a rare privilege to be part of the birth of our, our democracy in 1994. And and try and heal some of the divisions. Yeah, yeah. right. So it's uh, quite extensive. Did you, you, you said you trained in um, the UK and, and the USA. Did you find that there was, or, or what sort of differences did you find between those two, or all those, those few courses that you did? Well, to be fair, the UK are fairly constrained by where they're trained. Yeah. It was sort of 
close protection light when it comes to the reactive skills, the shooting, the driving, um, the kind of grit stuff that you've got in terms of hard, but very rich in skill. The Brits really think before they act. And I think it's a very valuable contribution to the international body of knowledge of close protection is the British approach. Yeah. Um, the they let the Brits think and then they do the act and they've got yeah. better toys. So at the end of the day, the Americans bring technology, they bring a willingness to act, they bring hard skills to, yeah. to the equation. So I think a fusion between the two is probably the magic. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, a lot of those guys that have worked in the industry, uh, I should say the, the, the guys and the ladies that have worked in the industry, would, would definitely agree with that and have probably seen the difference in the details, uh, the protection details, um, you know, there's a, there's a vast difference between, a, um, I guess, a, a UK detail when they, they pull up compared to, at times, a US detail. And not to say one's better than the other, there's certainly two very distinctive styles, that's for sure. Well, and certainly that's what I've noticed anyway. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was basically it. And then from 94, I had the privilege of working with the South African Police and the National Protection Services right through to 2004 when I moved into operational medicine with, with the counterterrorism mm. division. Um, but, yeah, it, it was an awesome ride. I mean, I got the privilege to work through the presidents and uh, made sure that I, I absorbed the lessons on those details. And uh, there were various other celebrities and cricket teams and uh, cultural people, wealthy business folk that came through the process. I did some commercial stuff as well. And all of that contributed to my understanding of, of close protection as a sort of holistic uh, art rather than just uh, diplomatic or, or business. Yeah, and I think that's one of the, um, probably one of the greatest things that, that you know, yourself and Ronan has going for it is, is that holistic approach and, and one that, um, you know, we've, you know, we, we've tried to emulate since, you know, getting uh, Panoptic Solutions up and running is certainly, um, you know, that, that holistic approach is what you've you've sort of imparted onto us. So uh, certainly, thanks for, from from my my side of the house. But um, sure I, I can't digress. Um, so I mean, with, with the bodyguarding, you know, obviously bodyguarding has been around since you know Adam was a boy. You know, there's there's references to to bodyguards in the Bible, and even you know Shakespeare talks about it. So you know, it's it's not a new concept. Um, you know, and you know, you've, you've obviously been there and done that, so I would certainly refer to you as a pioneer in, in, in several respects, particularly with the medical capability. We just, you know, we just spoke about the holistic approach. Um, you know, how do you feel executive protection, close personal protection, bodyguarding has evolved over the years? You know, is it a, is it a better product from when you first started with industry, you know, and, and how has it evolved? Yeah, absolutely, Troy. I mean, it, in some places it has evolved and others perhaps it's stagnated. I mean, if we look back at me going through the UK for a one-week course in 19... 19- um, that's a whole lot of years ago. And in 2004 and, and more recently codified, uh, the UK set standards and they set a standard at 14 days. Uh, yeah, so right. they doubled how long it takes to become a close protection officer. The world swallowed the UK SIA standard as the international standard for quite some time, and I think mm. it's starting to fade. In uh, 2015, the SIA started, uh, well, stopped registering foreign nationals um, and limited it to EU and UK only. And I see with Brexit more than a limit UK nationals only, and those right to work, which obviously the EU nationals will lose. But essentially, it's gone from one week to two weeks. And t- um, I. 
don't know that, that it has developed enough. Um, we, in 2004, I was blessed to be asked by SACWA, the South African Qualifications Authority, to assist in writing their curriculum and uh, committee. And we wrote, uh, to be honest, sitting at the table with the who's who of close protection in South Africa, we got to a standard which was very similar to the Ronan product, uh, basically because we seem to be very passionate and very vocal about what we should be doing. And we're still linked to what some manuals they'd salvaged from overseas and, and tried to emulate the overseas standard. I, I stood up on my back paws and said, no, we're not going to follow the rest of the world to pioneer standard that's relevant to us. We have a training environment that is unique. We can carry firearms here. We uh, do have horrific road traffic issues. Of racetrack skid pans, we have a huge body of medical emergencies and things. So we need to take this close protection contextualizer to our hostile environment that we live in in South Africa. Yeah. And essentially, we've come up with an 11-week program. So if you look at the rest of the world, they're still doddering around two weeks, and we, we talk about 11-week course. It's five weeks of tactical training, and then six weeks of medical training. And, and the Russian behind that is quite simple. If there is an attack, it always ends up in taxing your medical skills a worthy opponent, you're going to and you need to be able to continue the fight. I always say that any attack on your principle goes through certain battles in, in a unified war. The first battle is a physical one to win immediately. Secondly, you must self-medicate and be able to fix your client and stop him from dying and your colleagues. Um, we have sort of unwritten code between us as, as close protectors that we're going to be there for each other because the team medic most certainly will be deployed on the client. So how much for each other becomes a question. And then after that, we can look at the psychological implications of what we had to do, and we have to win that battle, and then finally the legal battle. So at the end of the day, it's a holistic approach to conflict between humans, and I think we do need 11 weeks to learn how to do that properly. And if I reflect on my career, and I'm sure you're similar, um, seven out of 10 incidences that we face either were primarily medical incidences or they were secondarily incidences. So to be able to have an answer for that because if a client dies or is damaged on our shift, um, it doesn't really matter whether the terrorist came from inside his own body, diabetes, asthma, anaphylaxis, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. or if the terrorist came from the outside of, of his body. So at the end of the day, we're there to keep him alive for a certain duration, time, and place. And uh, I can't help but uh, to do that adequately, we need to train professional medics and time. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it's really interesting. And, and I, as I said, you know, I really do credit you guys for, um, you know, bringing the medical aspect to the protection space. Uh, certainly certainly from my point of view and certainly from um, my experiences and certainly with the business that we've, we've established here. But, you know, every time we have this conversation with a, with a potential uh, new client, you know, we'll sit down and we'll talk about, um, security, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll obviously have their own um, expectations of what they are. And, and a lot of the time, the client, it's, 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 it's about balancing expectation with reality, I, I guess. Um, and I always bring to the table, I always say to them, you know, what, what about medical? Um, you know, do any of the kids have any medical issues? Do you have any medical issues? Um, and they, they, they always glaze over it. But uh, it, it's really great that I can now sit there and talk to these guys and go, well, you know, look, the vast majority of, of what occurs is, you know, it's, it's whether it's be your kid gets ill um, whilst on the, on the yacht, whether it's, you know, you're out walking around and you, and you fall over while you're uh, exploring the caves, or whether it's, you know, your, your, your elderly father that has a, 
um, you know, an MI or a heart attack or whatnot, you know. So it really is a light bulb moment, moment for a lot of clients when you start talking about that. And, um, and I think... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think within Absolutely the security me. space that, that that's definitely something that, uh, you know, is becoming more and more prevalent, but, but certainly the early days, um, that wasn't so, so much the case. Yeah, sure. I mean, if we look at clients, they're not dumb. Mm. But what we've got to do, we've got to put in front of them. The first one is if you go to any, shall we say, second, first world country, and you look around and see what people talk about, what people need, you've always got this, the local will have a sort of in-depth knowledge of support. Now, what does that mean? Well, they'll have armed response company, or they'll have oh. guards at their house, or they'll have a private ambulance service. So when it comes to medical and tactical support it's always a need in those kind of environments so clients need to understand that when happens there's an eight minute response time to get an ambulance now that's a first world country so why would i want you troy clayton on my team as a paramedic when i can ambulance here in eight minutes well your brain dies in five if you choke in the restaurant on your steak mate yeah. you still want the ambulance in eight minutes so at the end of the day you need troy clayton right there yeah there's a certain emergency within the emergency that is time dependent and eight minutes doesn't cut it. And that's the UK. In South Africa, it's 45 minutes for the ambulance. Wow. So depending where you're going, they're going to arrive after the fact. In the yeah. fact. Now, if you have a look at armed response, they arrive 10, 15 minutes after the bad guys have finished killing you. So what's the point of having armed response? It's false uh, promises and a false economy. So mm-hmm. they, they realize that start painting the, the action-reaction gap that the support services have. The fact is they're not there when they need it. They always have to be called. Yeah. Uh, would you like to have your own capacity standing next to you? So that's the first thing. Um, they're getting a paramedic and a bodyguard salary. Yeah. Okay? Now, that, as a businessman, they understand that. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a fairly easy sell when you get into the nuts and bolts. Yeah, absolutely, and that's that's really well explained. I just want to circle back to um, the the um, the eleven week course. I think um, I find that really interesting. Uh, that point that you, you've made, you, you've got the five weeks tactical and the six weeks medical, and um, obviously when I you know when I did my course back in two thousand and six, I believe the the um, the close protection course was. Remind me, was it five weeks? It was five weeks. It still yeah. is. You see, the first week is medical, and we yeah. basically take them to a very serious level of. First aid. I always say first aid is for the sake of the first aider to say that he tried really hard when his client dies and he feels better when he goes to bed. <laughs> um, I, I'm criticised for that, yeah. but as a paramedic, I'm sorry. You know, the people that teach first aid are generally overweight beings that never work. Yeah. And yeah. frankly, stuff that doesn't matter can't do any help but can't do any harm. So everyone gets a certificate and sings ging gang gooey around the fireside. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, for me, a close protection course needs paramedics teaching them some serious hemostatic control, tourniquet application, getting yep. stuck into some good, and some good ventilation if needs be, and, and revisit all of the typical CPR, but do it the way paramedics do it. So, so we get them to a standard where, where it moves from first aid into pre-hospital care at a BLS level, at a very low, low BLS level in the first week. Now, training people like you, um, we train nurses, doctors, paramedics that come through to us. We give you a discount because you've got medical knowledge that you're bringing to the party, and the first week is a bit of a breeze. In the mornings, you get battered in the unarmed combat, which you need desperately because you're generally too much a handholder when you come from medical services. But at the end of the day, the first week, you guys arrive, and, and it's all not. And it's, it is new for the others, though. And you just ground them in what's possible. And they start to realize, wow, these paramedics and nurses really have got something to give. And it puts a perspective into where they need to go. And then 
four weeks of tactical after that. So you are a fairly round, well-rounded general practitioner at the end of the first five weeks because you easy ride in the first week and then it got hectic after that. You had some training already, so it never really got too hectic for you. But the close protection course is all, you know, all included product, but you discover on the course in the first week that, hang on, this medical thing is important. Yeah. I need to come back and do it properly. And then you yeah. come back for the six weeks. So you don't do it all in one hit. I mean, leave and, and finance is always a problem. So let's, you know, we made it modular for that reason. Yeah. But definitely medical warrants a revisit so that you can come out of the alphabet soon. Stop saying I'm an EMT that and I'm the next thing. Uh, when actually you've done a five-day course. No, you need to do something. More. Yeah, no. Our medical, you have to do 750 hours afterwards. So you, you're a real medical practitioner. You've seen patients. Mm-hmm. And that's what you need to be as a professional post-protection officer, not want to be. Yeah, no, look, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, well, like I said, when I did mine, we, the, the first week was medical, and, and it really is a good um, uh, leveller uh, for, for anyone and everyone, irrespective of their, their background. And, and I know you discuss this on, on the course, you know, it, it is a leveller, um, you know, whether you're special forces, whether you're a civilian and looking to start something new or, or whatnot, um, it really um, brings you down to an, an even playing field. And, and by the end of it, it's, it's really a... a probably a teaser and I think if people walk away thinking well I've done a week course in South Africa I'm now a medic um, that's that you know that's all well and good but the reality is I think exactly what you said six weeks is uh, probably going to be a good wake-up call once you come back and and realize you know um, you know I keep saying within medicine the more I find out about medicine the more I realize that I actually don't know Um, you know you keep going on and on and at the end of the day, I mean, if you think back to your course, when, when you came on, you went out on the real ambulance doing real response to the advanced life support frontline ambulance and one of the most paramedic protocol in the world. Yeah. And we go out and face some hectic stuff and we drag you with us. To yes. be with us. And you, you, if you did think medic after the five days training of the first, when you finished your ambulance shift, you realized, no, I'm, I'm not a medic, not yeah. yet. Absolutely. I've seen some, some cool stuff done and yeah, I need to come back and sort this out properly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so just coming back to uh, to I guess the bodyguard side of the house. What um, what was the catalyst for you moving? You know, going from performing the BG or bodyguard services to to getting into the training realm. That's that's an interesting. What happened in two thousand and one. Actually, I looked around and said, "Hell, you know, really filled with some great operators. I worked with some really good men and women, um, but I hadn't met any serious trainers." Outside of the police service, there was no training in South Africa in the civilian sector, and I identified that as a as a niche. So we decided to run uh, in 2001. Um, I phoned a mate in the UK military that I'd been training over there, Mark McKinney, and I said, running a close protection course, have you got any blokes interested in the British military? And he sent 10 guys over, and they came and did the course, and it, it went fairly well. I mean, it was clunky, and, and it was the first time out, and... It wasn't the greatest, but uh, we, we got it done. And, and within two weeks after the course, I got another phone call from him saying, listen, mate, can you do another one? The guys loved it. And then I thought, now, hang on, this is rather odd. You know, little hamlet just outside of Cape Town, being out bay at the tip of Africa, and we've got these, these foreign guys wanting to come down and train with us. It seemed rather odd, but I just went with it. And we did another two courses, 2001. We did six in 2000. We then did 12 in 2003. It just went mayhem. It just went be crazy they just would so we realized that we aren't something and, and yeah that's well, what, do, what what do you put that down to um 
I, I think there's a certain honesty. There's a certain journey of discovery. The folks that make the journey down to the tip of Africa that, um, are unique human beings. They, I mean, you and, and you, your colleagues came from far and wide, and something drew you here. Something resonated with you. And I think I was on that flame of excellence that burns within certain people, just a little brighter than most. And they choose the hard path because they know they, it leads to an enlightenment. And they came here and they just to be excellent. They discovered it's okay to struggle and to grow amongst folks that want genuinely for you to improve and be better than they were. Yeah. And I think they realized that my life's goal is, is not driven by money. It's driven by enhancing and, and unlocking a potential within the students that make it to our shores. And yeah, the, the focus on the people. We, we always say close protection is people protect people against people, using people amongst the people for the people. Mm. It's a lot but of people. You, it's a lot of people. <laughs> To focus on the man, yeah, and we make the man better. Toys will change, you know, and and people get better and better toys, and better, better comms and better guns, and that's fine. But if you if you neglect the man, you don't have anything in close protection. And we really focus on developing the individual, progressive foot drills, progressive progressive combat tactics, and we're just different. And I think they discover that, and they go back and they talk to like minded people, and we keep getting a steady stream of really good folk. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be honest, yeah, I, I had a couple other questions here, but you, you've encompassed that in, into that. You know, I was going to ask you what you felt made, uh, well, what's made Ronan so successful over the past decade, but um, or decade or two, I guess. But you, you've kind of already well. I, I think the, the answer is fifty percent. What what we said, you know, that we do something really unique here, and there's something special that happens to each individual here. The thing, uh, like you. You know, 50% of our reputation, at least, is because of what you went out and did in the industry. And that's why people know about Ronan. Yeah, we gave you a foothold. Yeah, we said it's okay to be excellent. And we taught you some techniques which are interesting and progressive. But you took it out there and did panoptic. And at the end of the day, that's I credit most of our reputation to what our grads have done, to be per perfectly honest with you. Yeah, right. That's good stuff. So, um <laughs> okay, I'll go on to this one. So, can you can you give us a couple of success stories of uh, of students that you've trained uh, who've gone on to complete or or have completed Ronan and gone on to bigger and better things in in their lives? Yeah, well, you're just looking at the camera, mate. There's one of them. So, you know, he, he went back to Australia and redefined close protection, I think, for Australia, and have set the bar pretty high. Um, but others like you are Alan Conley, who who was yes. an instructor, Sarsted, Daniel Turon together and formed a company called Gaboon Protective Services here in South Africa and they've redefined South Africa in terms of the same thing you did in Australia mm -hmm. and just said hang on you know there's there's a more excellent way to do close protection um, you've got Sean West in the UK um, you've got uh, you know Sean Heppenstall in the US you've got a range of grads there, there's tons I mean I've got about 300 miles and I save every single one when the bloke comes back and says look this is what I've done this is where I've started this is where I've ended up thanks for the lessons it was life changing fantastic you know, I've, I, and I, I save every single one for my rocking chair days because, you know, I'm going to go and read all of them quietly, you know, when I'm sitting there in the rocking chair. And it's, it really feels good to know that we had a small part to play in the well, success stories. Of I was going to say that, that that must be a good feeling. I mean, it must be a good feeling knowing that you've been able to pass on, um, I don't know, as corny as it sounds, a piece of you or a piece of um, something that you've built to not just one or two people, but, you know, a, a ton of them. And worldwide, and to be able to sit back and, as you say, sit back on your rocking chair one day and, and look at those and uh, know that you've made a difference, I guess, that, that must be a pretty good thing. 
Yeah, no, it's a fantastic. Uh, you know, I, I remain grateful every single day for what the grads are doing out there. I mean, we've got eighteen hundred and forty-five graduates globally. Wow, and it's not a huge number, but effective number because they are why number. we have the reputation. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at the global network on the graduate page, we, we've got probably a greater reach than most intelligence services in the world. Well, and the guy, these guys on tap as local knowledge, if they have operations in any country in the world. And we, we refer to our graduates as embassies. They are. They run in embassies. Well, you need someone in, in uh, Greece. You need someone in uh, Mauritius. You need someone anywhere. We, we've got folks all over. Uh, it really, I think, enhances the graduates' ability to, to run their companies. Oh, look, without a doubt, I know I've used it um, several several occasions where I've, I've either posted a job or or just gone to the actual um, um, the site to was it the geo geolocation site that you've got got up there? That's correct. Yeah, yeah and uh, you know various countries that we've operated in, and, and very first thing I do is is only running running graduates there, and then um, you know we'll, we'll sort of reach out as and when. So it's it's a, it's an excellent resource, and I guess even those companies or people out there that are looking for uh, EP, CPP operatives um, worldwide that didn't know about that, uh, certainly if you're listening, you now do know about that, um, go there and utilise it. It's a fantastic resource. Absolutely. I mean, we, we obviously screen companies that, that want to have access to it. Mm. We want reputable companies only and, and we will screen them and then we'll grant them access. It's it's dollars a year. It's ridiculous. I mean, if you have a look at headhunting costs, it's three months salary for a guy that you go to a placement agency and here we're handing them 1,845 qualified people in terms of close protection internationally. Absolutely. Um, Highly qualified and vetted. Yeah. Absolutely. They've vetted guys. They've got no criminal record. They're physically fit. As you know, we've got stringent uh, requirements for our course. And Mm. also all of their language skills are listed. Their their specialized operation skills are listed. If you need people with certain qualities and language abilities, it's all listed in in a very intelligent, searchable database. So you can really hone in on what what kind of caliber you, you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it, like I said, it's a fantastic resource. So um, just coming back to uh, the, the actual operative themselves or the, or the student, what, what makes a successful CPP or EP operative slash student in your eyes? I think with a student, they need to arrive with an open mind. They need to bear the simple economic reality that they've paid me a vast amount of money to teach them about close protection. Yep. I mean, something you did really well. You already had been trained within law enforcement close protection, but yet you arrived hungry. You wanted to know what I knew so that you can go away with value for money and value for time. Yeah. So, you know, the guys arrive, they're fit, they're intelligent blokes, they are hungry, they want to learn what we have to offer and soak it up. I always say when you get on the plan, you can do as much or as little of what I've taught you as as you want. It's your divine right, your life. So come and take the journey, learn what I have to, to share and then use whatever amount of it you wish and end it with with what you already have. So, yeah, that's that's what I'd say is... is this is for the fit, open-minded, intelligent individual. Yep. This course, unfortunately, acknowledges that close protection is a doing and a thinking art. And mm. you have to have the right mind to understand the process, but you also have to have a body that can affect the process. Mm. So if you are overweight, get fit. If you are lazy on learning, make sure that you, you warm up the muscle between your ears because when you come to run and you're going to need both. For sure, and I can certainly attest to that. But um, one thing I did, well, I mean, not just myself, but I know others within the industry when I was looking at, at coming across, one of the things that we uh, discussed was the fact that, you know, Ronan, South Africa has standards. So it's not a case, it's not an attendance course. You can't just turn up, do your five weeks, 
thanks for coming. I'll take your money. Here's a certificate. See you later. In fact, I know that there was yeah. one, at least one person on our course that, that didn't get through at the end of it. Um, and, and you're honest about that. You're up front right at the start and you say, listen, if you don't meet the standard, you're not going to get through. Don't expect to be here for a holiday. Absolutely true. I mean, your course was a bright bunch. I went back and did some statistical analysis and I found a 25% average uh, rate of failure on yeah, our programs. Right. And go. that ranges from people who lied on the application and they're not as fit as they said they were. They feel that gravity is heavier in here in South Africa than in the UK. <laughs> and so the pull-ups were a bit less in the Southern Hemisphere. You know, Those blokes struggle and, yeah. and they, they get a no. And at the end of the day, we don't apologize for it. We're very upfront. Um, we're very simple. We, there's not a tenance, as you said. And there is a standard that we've clung to all these years. We've never changed it. We've never welched on a deal. You had to go through the standard. And I always tell them, I've got 1,845 graduates' eyes boring a hole in the back of my head as I stand in front of the incumbents. And no, each of those men paid the same price you paid. Each of those men paid the price of time they had to come here. Each of those men endured the journey you're going to endure. So if you think you're special and you just want a couple of extra marks, remember that there are 1,845 men behind me that say no, and, and I represent them. Mm. Absolutely. No, that's, 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 that's great that you, you, you set those standards and, um, you know, and it stands well within the industry too. That's the thing. Like if there's standards, if you can't meet them, you know, it is what it is. Don't be there. So, um, so that's great. Um, I did have another question about um, the, the, the medical aspect, but I, I think we've kind of, we've, we've spoken about that in length, so I won't, I won't worry too much about that. I mean, I've already acknowledged the fact that you, you know, really were um, one of the early pioneers with that concept. Um, and like I said, you know, we've, you know, hopefully we've grabbed that legacy and, and, and you know, helped to, to move that forward in, in some respect. And my, my understanding is that you've also had doctors on, on the course as well, um, not just paramedics, but you've had doctors on the course. Have you, can you expand a little bit on that with the experience that the doctors have had? Sure. Look, uh, with respect, I mean, as a paramedic, you know this. Uh, a doctor who's a general practitioner is completely hopeless in the pre-hospital environment. Yep. Let's just get that out there. Yep. And what they discovered was how to function within a hostile environment because they, they're blending tactical awareness with their abilities as practitioners, learning the adaptions you need in the pre-hospital setting. There are no nurses. There are no quiet casualties. There are no blood gas machine. You need to get down. You need to do the business, and you have to clinical understanding in that pre-hospital setting. Hmm. So I always say a paramedic is the special forces of the medical uh, arena. Okay. And a doctor is a general, and he's got to learn, he's got to do his trooper training and, and become a special forces guy to be able to get into pre-hospital care because it's, it's not a permissive environment. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they learn that rapidly, and I think they really enjoy that take, and, and they refine their skills. They learn some pre-hospital tips and tricks. Um, the doctors are great because they go out into industry, and, and what better than having a great doc who's got some pre-hospital uh, passion behind him in the CP detail. Yeah. And we've had from South African special forces doctors right through to, we just had one is from uh, SAS and he, he's just graduated as a doctor yep. and his eyes were wide open when we took him out and showed him all kinds of mayhem so yeah they, they love it they absolutely love it and they, they do well they're people generally they fit people and they, they do extremely well yeah, that's great we're uh, we're pretty fortunate here at, at Panoptic to have uh, a medical director who is a, a former army medic um, uh, army medical officer and uh, we like I, I don't tell him too much because it goes to his head but he's He's one of those guys who's happy to pull up the sleeves and sort of get out there, and he's, he's worked within um, some frontline units. So the, the, thing, the thing is, though, that a lot of those sorts of, um, I guess, those types of doctors are, are rare to find, certainly not bagging out on doctors at all, but um, as you said, there's a vast difference between 
I guess, um, being in a sterile environment uh, and working out in, in, a, in a hostile environment, that's for sure. Absolutely. So for, for those, uh, those looking to come across and do Ronin or whether it be Ronin or, a, you know, a close protection training of some kind, um, those, those guys and girls out there that have got military experience or law enforcement experience that may have had some sort of protection training previously, uh, what would you say to those people that are looking to come out and, I guess, get into the civilian sector and, and come across and do uh, training such as yours? Probably two things. You know, the first thing I'd say is, is I cannot say that their, their LE training was deficient. But what I will say is that we will teach them to do the same job without recourse to brandishing a firearm uh, in a hostile environment, do it because I've got a bigger gun and or I've got a badge. Now, you take the gun and the badge, now what can you do? What can you get? to make your client more safe. So the softer skills will certainly give them. Um, that's the British influence, I think, on our program. And, of course, the hard skills are here as well, being South yeah. Africa. But, yeah, I think we need to take the LE guy. And I always tell the guys in registration, how many civilians have we got? And four or five people put up their hand. How many soldiers have we got? No, about nine people put up their hand. And I say, right, well, what the hell are the civilians doing here, mate? Isn't this a paramilitary course? I mean, you know, what are civilians doing here? And then we go through the fact that, you know, uh, how do you get new shoes, civilians, well, military? And they'll say, oh, you go down to the, the QMS and you get three pairs, you know, you use one pair and the other pair you put in your cupboard for parade and the other one, well, you sell it to a civilian mate because they love that stuff. Yep. And then ask the civilian, how do you get shoes? Well, you buy it with money. What if you don't? Well, then I can't buy shoes. And therein lies the magic. The civilian can teach the law enforcement guy that actually responsibility for your survival is yours. Mom's going away. You're moving out of a big institution. You've got to learn how to have faith and dedication to your own cause because now you've got to buy your own shoes, mate. Yeah. So there's a certain rub-off that happens between the civilian and the military guy. And I always tell the civilians, listen, you need to learn how to stand your post for sexy. And the military guys will teach you that stubborn grit and determination to stand firm. So they rub off on each other. And I say, well, how do you know how to respect people? And the military guy says, well, rank. You can see it. It's obvious. And I say to the civilian, how do you know? He says, well, you can't see it because it's the civilian, so you have to respect everyone. And therein lies the rub for the military guy to learn how to interact with people. As we know, close protection is people heavy. Yes. Yeah, all in all, the law enforcement guys, I mean, we we took eight, we we were asked by the South African police to train eight of their top advanced CP instructors and just broaden their horizons. So they sent them down to us and we took all eight and they know that we're not confined by any kind of policies and doctrine. um, So we don't have to pass anybody. And at the end of the day, all eight failed. Yeah, right. And were sent back to, to, to the agency. And, and they were very happy with it because, and the guys themselves were overjoyed. It's like, yeah. wow, what an awakening. We learned so much. We grew so much. So it was a negative experience for them. And it absolutely brought their environment and, and, and their close protection understanding. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of lessons on the program for the LE guys. And, and yeah, they, they thrive. It's interesting that you sort of say, um, you know, it's a people-related industry and um, that, I guess, the military and law enforcement guys can learn from the civilians and, and vice versa. Um, as you and I know, and, and most, you know, most of the seasoned, um, you know, operatives that are working in this, this space, that, you know, CPP and executive protection and bodyguarding or whatever, whatever term you want to use is, you know, 90% of it, well, uh, I shouldn't say 90%, but a vast majority of it is just getting along with people. Um, you know, and if you if you if you can't get along with someone and, and you can't work within a team, then um, you've got no place being there because you won't be asked back. That's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I know that um, Ronan. My understanding is that 
quite a few years ago, you guys were uh, providing operations as well. So not just the training, but you were providing um, personnel and, and running operations yourself. Now, you guys pulled away from that um, a few years ago. Can you give me um, um, the, the, the thought process behind that and, and how long ago that actually started happening? Sure. Look, we realized very quickly there's a niche in the market for trainers mm. and yeah, a lot of good companies, good operations. And we wanted to place ourselves and position ourselves as a center of excellence that was available to any organization that was serious about training their people to a higher standard. So we felt that it was inappropriate for us to engage in operational competition with various agencies because that way they'd be hesitant and their, their staff to us in case we poach them. Hmm. So what we said was, let's do what we're good at. Let's become neutral. Like, and let's just train for everyone. So all kinds of organizations can, in confidence, send their people to us securing the knowledge that nobody can approach their guys. We're going to send them back enhanced due credentials and they can then take and deploy them with a workable directly into the field without any risk of losing them. Yep. And we started that in about 2003. We said, look, we've got to curtail operations and not compete with, with the guys that are sending people to us. And we've maintained that ethic all the way through and we have no intention of going back into operations. Okay. And, and that's obviously worked well for you guys then? It has, and, and whenever we get inquiries, because we do get quite a few inquiries for operations, we just send them straight on into the grad job shop, and we send mails out to you guys and say, look, here's, here's work that people need done, and we pass it on to our grads, and, and we're only too happy to do that. That's fantastic, and I have seen those emails come through from time to time, that's for sure. Um, and, and speaking about the, I guess, the grad database and whatnot, um, the current initiatives, you know, we, we obviously spoke about the graduate database, and like I said, you know, I've used it um, more more times than I, I can remember at the moment. But um, are there any other current initiatives that you guys are looking at doing or you are doing that, that we didn't really discuss? Yeah, essentially, you know, we rely heavily on our graduates to be our marketing voice and know people that are similar to them, like attracts like. Yeah. And there's, is, there's the authorised referrer program and by default every single graduate that graduates from us becomes an authorised referrer, essentially an ambassador. And we want to meet the people that they are of the opinion would succeed on the program. Let's right. send people so that we can get the 25% focus down because they're sending the right kind of people. They're interested in mass marketing, but all of our grads have the right to place a person on our program and they get 500 pounds off the rack rate, the person that comes on the program. So yep. they're getting a 10% discount. It'll pay for their flight just because they a graduate. That's a great deal. We'll, we'll give them a marketing commission of, what, 300 pounds, I think it is currently, to yeah. say thank you for identifying material for us to allow us to make this incredible product better. So essentially, you know, they go off into the market as, as buyers of raw material, essentially, and they go out and find the right guys. They know these people in the network. They know them personally in terms of fitness, mental aptitude, and just general attitude send the right kind of guys to us and we're only too happy to pay for that because we see that as an investment in the product that's fantastic yeah i was going to say i mean that, that is very much an investment and i guess um not not just an investment for you guys but an investment for the entire um ronin network uh like you know we've just said you know i do use it um and, and i know that i can go to the uh the database and 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 find a quality qualified and competent um graduate um pretty much anywhere in the world at the moment Absolutely. And I mean, you know that they're congruent to your values, they're congruent to the way you were trained, and they survived me. And as you know, that's no mean feat. 
<laughs> you're right, it is 99 main feet. So uh, you guys have got a quite a lot, we keep saying you, you've got quite a, quite a reach, the international reach. Um, you obviously have uh, your, your shop front there in Hout Bay and I know you sort of mentioned uh, previously that you know you, you started off this little little shop front down in Hout Bay and it's funny because I was speaking to one of the guys when I was there on my course, he's, he said the exact same thing, one of the locals, he's like, and I remember it specifically, he said, you guys see this as this international training academy that's world-renowned. We see this as just this little, you know, this shop front down here in Hout Bay. And, uh, you know, it's interesting the take on, on the locals compared to what's out there in the network because, you know, it's, it's vastly different. Your, your reputation does precede you. Um, but I sort of digress. I, I was going to actually ask about, you know, what other... Uh, shop fronts, I guess, little shop fronts are you looking to, to, to branch out into now? My understanding is Europe and Australia is, is uh, two places that are on the cards. Absolutely. Uh, you know, our Australians go a long way back and, and we've trained a lot of Australians and out of that. Um, we've recently signed a, a deal with uh, Jeff Schrumer from uh, the, Security in, uh, Industry, the Security Institute in Australia. Yep. And Jeff runs a great, great product there. He's up in Queensland and Brisbane. And what he's done is he's cross-mapped our outcomes and he's cross-mapped it against the Cert 3 and, and all those things. And, and Australian graduates can go back to him and, and pop up. It's over a weekend because we cover so much of the stuff here. And he sorts them out in terms of Queensland, Queensland registration for, for CP okay. as well as uh, firearms. So at the end of the day, that's a nice value add for our Australian guys. Um, okay. You know, Jeff is a great guy and, and he and product and, and we're thrilled to be associated with him. Um, one of our instructors, John Marshall, uh, is involved with them as well. So John's right on, knows exactly, as having been an instructor for, for two, three years with us. So uh, that's Australia. Uh, I'm not going to say we, we won't come and do a course in Australia. Um, we just, the South African environment is just lends itself to the firearms and the medical and the ride-along. And, uh, you know, it's it's got everything we need and it's a permissive environment to do real-world training rather mm-hmm. than being curtailed by perhaps too much occupational health and safety mm-hmm. and cotton wool in, in the first world. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, South Africa's got a thin first world glaze over it, but it's got a heart of the third world and, and it lets us train really unique individuals because, after all, it's what they're designed to help protect against is third world threat. Yeah, it's, it's um, certainly a unique environment, that's for sure. Yeah, and then Sweden... Sweden, we went there, and, and I was there on another trip. I was there training some medics uh, in combat medicine with some colleagues of mine, and uh, we were basically mobbed, and they said, you own Ronan? Really? You must come here to Sweden. We, you're very famous in Sweden. And I was like, yeah, we've got some Swedish grads, but what do you mean we're famous? No, no, you're really famous in Sweden. So please come and do a course here. So we scheduled a course in September, end of September, October in Sweden, yeah, and uh, the military, you know, has a mandate there as well, so looking at helping them a little bit as well. And at the end of the European hub, we've always had one in Malta as a reserve base. Should we ever need it, it's just business redundancy planning. Yeah. And um, Sweden has opened its arms and said we really would like to have you here. So we're super thrilled about that. That's fantastic. Sweden, see where it goes. Um, we we get folks that that perhaps are reticent to come to South Africa. When we ran some courses in Malta, we, we got South Koreans, we got a different mix of, of students that started coming through. So, yeah, we're interested to see where the Europe Training Hub will go and perhaps we'll unlock some new students from different parts of the world. Okay. So, yeah, we look forward to that. 
Yeah, well, that's that's really interesting. I mean, it, as you said, South Africa is a is a um, re- really unique location, which which allows for a fantastic training ground for for close protection. That's for sure. So I think it'd be hard to replicate that um, elsewhere. But I'm, I'm sure if you guys have anything to do with it, you'll be able to push for a uh, a really uh, professional product. That's for sure. Yeah, no, we're not going to take any quarter there. It will be exactly every bit as as challenging as the South African one. The certificates all the same. The Instructors are all the same. The standards are all the same. Yeah. Um, we, we will do absolutely everything in Sweden that we can do here. We, we connected with the right people that can make that happen. So we, we're sure that it's going to be a great course. Fantastic. Um, Tim, mate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, on the podcast, but not just that, just a, a really great pleasure just um, catching up with you and, and having a bit of a banter. Um, before, we, before we scoot off, um, yeah, just to, let's get a quick plug out of the way. Um, training is run all year round. There's a cl- uh, calendar on the website, including uh, medical training. Is that, that correct? Absolutely. The calendars are up there. The availability of places is up there. The uh, application process is done online. Mm-hmm. Um, we'd love to meet some folks that, that have got raw materials, the post-fail kind of guy. Yep. A good mind, good body attitude. Those are the guys we all Fantastic. And um, the website for everyone that uh, that's listening out there is um, www.ronin, which is R-O-N-I-N.co.za. So that's ronin.co.za. So you go there and you can um, have a look on the website um, and you can get in touch with the team there and you can also um, submit all your forms. Uh, is that the uh, the best way to do that, Tim? Is there any other contact details Absolutely. you want to put up? The only way to access us is the online application form, but we've also got a, a little uh, field, a little dialogue that's sitting there on the page, and you can ask us questions in real time. And there's a whole lot of us that are perpetually, you probably get me if you, you're late at night and you send us something uh, in the middle of the night, there's no worries there. I've got a young one-year-old, so I'm up and about. Um, so yeah, you I just reach out to us and we'd love to chat to you. Yeah, well, you you can uh, you can have the internet going with you sitting in there in your rocking chair reading all those reviews that you were talking about and uh, just waiting for people to touch base with you, mate. Absolutely, it's always yeah. a privilege. Tim, like I said, mate, absolute pleasure. Uh, for those looking to do some training, uh, like Tim said, uh, you know, South Africa is uh, an amazing playground for not just uh, protection but also medical. Um, I highly recommend it. Of course, I'm going to do that being a graduate, but um, it is uh, certainly one of those uh, courses that are, is always thrown out there as um, uh, within you know the first top three easily uh, mentioned for close personal protection training or executive protection training. So um, go to that website um, and um, have a look around. And if you're interested, then um, certainly uh, start the process uh, now. Tim, like I said, my absolute pleasure. Thanks again for being on. And um, hopefully we won't wait another, um, what is it, uh, 12 years before we, we get to have a chat like this again. Absolutely. It's been fantastic, Brett. Thanks for the privilege. Thanks very much, Tim. You've been listening to the Wheels Up podcast with Troy Clayton. For more information, show notes, resources, and subscription options, visit wheelsuppodcast.net. Wheels Up is brought to you by the Experts On Air podcast network. Until next time, safe travels.